0: Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you with us this morning. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here, if you don't know me. And uh, we're so glad that you're with us. If you're new to us, uh, thanks for being here. We hope that you feel like we feel, I think, and that is we feel like this is family to us. And we hope that you feel like part of the family today if you're new to us. All right. Uh, I will say, I'm so excited to see our dear brother and one of our wonderful elders, Jeff Franks, with us today, but he gave us a little bit of a scare this week. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're feeling better. Jeff had a heart attack on Monday and has been in the hospital for a couple of days and uh, been healing. He's still healing, and here he sits in uh, the back, so I kind of say, what's our excuse (laughs) Right, It's like, a Jeff, man, I just love you, and uh, we need you, and our hearts are with you. We're praying for you, believing with you that God is healing your heart in every possible way, and uh, we're just so glad you're with us today. So continue to pray for Jeff, if you will, okay? He needs our prayers, and uh, pray that the, the physical therapy, the things that they're doing, cardiac therapy they're doing is going to be a healing thing for him. Well, we're in the series in the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, we're about to get back into it. Last week, uh, we were left with Paul, the writer of Acts and the gospel of Luke. Luke. Uh, another guy that's in the uh, boat with them, Aristarchus. We talked about the different times we've seen him in our story in the book of Acts. But this has been an exciting story, and last week was uh, pretty exciting, right? It, it was not one to leave us um, uh, thinking, you know, is this something we want to see what's going to happen with us? And so this is a, an awesome day to get back into our story. Uh, Luke tells us that this storm comes upon their boat, pushes them out to sea. And so this is a scary moment. In fact, I loved the, the honesty that Luke gives us in our last message last Sunday, in our last text, where it says that for the most part, they had kind of given up all hope of rescue remember that like the honesty of Luke saying yeah Paul and me and the whole ship we've honestly given up hope for rescue and I was glad to see that because we feel that way sometimes don't we it's easy to get to places sometimes in life because life is not easy it's hard it's difficult it's easy to get to places where you go really God how am I going to get through this I I don't see any hope In this, I don't see how you're going to rescue us in the middle of this storm, and that's exactly what these three believers were experiencing, and yet God shows up in the very moments of our storms in beautiful ways to remind us that he's with us, that he loves us, that he's got a plan for us. That's exactly what happens here in the story of Paul. God shows up through an angel, and he encourages Paul, and Paul does what? Turns right around from the encouragement he's received and encourages everybody else. We're not going to die. We are going to lose a ship. We're not going to die, but um, it's going to be okay, right? We're going to be okay. So Paul loans his faith to the whole ship of men and he says, take heart. And so here he's encouraging on a sinking ship. That's what Paul does. Well, let's get back into the story see where we are today and what's going to happen on the sea here. So Acts 27, if you've got your Bibles with you. Verse 27, I think we're just going to go through uh, verse 32 to start with, okay? So let's, let's look at this. It says, when the 14th night had come, as we were be- being driven across the Adriatic Sea, uh, which is basically the first century word for the northern Mediterranean, they called it the Adriatic Sea, first century. It was about midnight and the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat, the lifeboat in essence, into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. We'll start there this morning. Would you pray with me as we get into this text? Father, we love you so much. God, I'm excited about what you want to teach us today about leadership. I pray that you would help your word come alive to us, help us to to pay attention, to be engaged. Uh, God, that we would glean life lessons of how we live and how we lead this text today, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to all truth, God, that I would stay out of your way, that you would increase in this place and I would decrease and that you'd give us the courage to be obedient to what you ask of us and what you say today in Jesus' precious name, amen. So this lesson today, this message is really about leadership, I mean, in so many different ways and right at the beginning, we truly see a contrast of leadership, right? Right? Contrast is like a big difference, black and white, day and night, you see a big difference. There's nothing real similar in the two. We see that the people who should be leading, which are the sailors, don't. And out of nowhere, the guy who you would never think might lead, some prisoner, begins to become the leader of the whole ship. And you really see this contrast of leadership. The message this morning is called Land, Liars, and Leaders. And I really think we can learn something about what it means for us to be leaders Uh, for the Lord so the first thing we talk about is is land right Luke says that it's been 14 days they've been out to sea two weeks um, and they're hungry they're tired these guys have been tossed around fearing for their lives Uh, they've been hopeful because of Paul's message from the angel maybe you're right there's 276 people on this boat and at least 273 are maybe probably pagan. So maybe or maybe not they're encouraged. I don't know. They're kind of going, I hope what he said was true. I don't know. But they've been tossed about. They're they're weary. They've been almost hopeless. And yet with this little bit of hope that Paul's given through the visit of an angel, they are hoping that their lives will continue to go on. The question that we have is, how do sailors in the first century know they're nearing land at midnight? you got no instruments. You really can't see anything. All you have is the moonlight. Well, I think maybe there's a possibility that they can hear the shore. They can hear waves crashing, crashing against the shore. And so as they, as they hear this possibly, at any moments of, of silence or quiet that they can hear, they think, all right, maybe we're getting close. And so they start taking measurements, soundings. They start letting down rope to just get a sense of how deep is the water beneath us because all in their minds in the background is, we're going to crash. Paul said, we're going to run ashore, we're going to lose the ship, and so everybody's like on edge constantly. Their first measurement equals 120 feet of depth. A little bit later, they take another measurement, it equals 90 feet of depth. Minute by minute, they're getting closer to the shore, closer to what is a a shipwreck that Paul has basically promised them. So the, the sailors go and they let down these four anchors from the bow. And and Luke adds this interesting comment after they let these anchors down. He says that they say, these pagan sailors, they prayed for daylight. They prayed for day to come. Isn't that interesting? It's like, who are they praying to? Well, probably not God. (laughs) They were praying to their gods, but they they prayed for day to come. Why? Because they were hoping that letting out these anchors would slow down the ship towards the the shore, towards the rocks. They were hoping that it would slow down enough that they could begin to see what the threat actually is, that maybe they could live. Again, still trusting. Can we trust what Paul said that we would live and what's what's going to happen here? But we see that often in leadership, you don't always have great leaders. Sometimes you have liars as leaders. Sometimes you have bad people as leaders. And that's exactly what this ship had in their sailors. Right after they pray to their gods that day would come right after the next sentence says they try to escape off the boat they try to escape from the ship and they let the lifeboat down right which is the only method of of rescue really in that moment that they think uh they let the lifeboat down and they're lying about doing it under the pretense of hey we're going to put out some more anchors they're not putting out more anchors they're 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 going to get out of town right They see this as a possibility for us to get away from this ship that's gonna wreck against the reef in just any moment. Let's take this little lifeboat and let's go. And so they lie, these are not good people. But let me just tell you something, this happens in our lives too. When we get under pressure, it reveals our true character. Doesn't it? We find out that we're either made up of faith or we're made up of fear. And then we start doing things based on those issues, those realities of who we are. When you really come up against an issue and and you're put under pressure and something has to give, what is the substance of your life? Is it made up of fear or is it made up of faith? We see the the sailors, I don't know what kind of faith they have because they didn't really trust in the God they just prayed to. He says they prayed for daylight to come, and then they got on the boat to leave. That's not trusting uh, their prayer, and it's not trusting the God of their prayers. So they're lying. They're not concerned about the other souls on board that need their experience to sail. They're just selfish. So Paul sees what's going on. He's evidently in tune with everything that's happening, and he tells the centurion, he says, listen, if these guys get off the boat, you won't be saved. Which is really interesting because basically what he's saying is our salvation, our rescue is tied to us being together. Somehow, that was some information we haven't been given, but somehow in the Lord's directive, Paul know, knows that they need to stay together. If these guys get off the ship, you cannot be saved, he says to the soldiers, which is, which is a crazy moment, right? And so the soldiers have a, a choice. What are they going to do? Uh, And this is what's crazy, the soldiers listen to Paul. The soldiers, these Roman soldiers, the centurion, we don't know how many uh, soldiers are with him, and a centurion means he's over 100 soldiers. Maybe there's 100 soldiers on this ship, I don't know. But we know that Paul in this moment, prisoner Paul is now giving orders in, in essence to the Roman soldiers. What do they do? They cut away the lifeboat, trusting Paul's message, I don't know, I guess so. But they they cut away the lifeboat and they're basically in essence saying no easy out here. We're all gonna do this together. We're gonna trust that God has spoken to us through Paul and that we will all live if we stay together, right? So one group of leaders is the group of soldiers. Only thinking of themselves, only thinking of escape. The other group of leaders led by Paul. Right? Paul is concerned not only about God's directive, that he follows what God said, but he's also concerned about the people on board. Can I just tell you that's a good uh, definition of godly leadership? If, le- if you follow a leader or you are a leader that's only concerned about yourself and what you want, that's not great leadership. But if you're concerned about what God wants and how to care for your people, that is a definition of godly leadership. Right? So, I'm convinced in this study today, uh, and we're about to get into it, that this message today is about leadership. Some of you go, Well, all right, you you begin to check out, I'm not a leader, I don't run a business, I'm not the boss, I don't do it. Listen, we're gonna find out if that's the case for you, okay? I'm convinced that if you will allow you, whoever you are, God will make you a leader and God will use your influence for other people's good, for other people's care, and for his glory. So I I want to talk a little bit about some of the things in Paul's leadership, right? Paul starts showing that he's a leader, number one, from the suggestion that he made. remember that at uh, Crete? He says, guys, I don't think we ought to sail. And the soldier, uh, the, uh, the centurion, the pilot of the ship, the owner of the ship, all three of them go, they don't even pay attention to Paul. They don't even turn his direction, not even paying attention to what this prisoner has to say. Paul says, we shouldn't sail, guys. This weather is not right. We shouldn't be here. Nobody listens to Paul, right? So that shows you at what level of leadership he is received by Paul at that point, right? None. He is a prisoner. Well, then a little bit later, they go through this this, uh, storm. Eleven days later, the Lord sends an angel to encourage Paul. Paul stands up in front of everybody. His leadership quotient rises a little bit. He encourages everybody and says, hang on, take heart. We're all going to live We're going to lose the boat, but everybody take heart. God is with us. And they listen to Paul because they need that hope. And you would too if you're in a raging sea. Please tell me something that will give me hope. And so they listen to Paul. Paul's leadership rises. Now we have Paul, in essence, as a main leader on this ship, pretty large ship, practically giving orders to a Roman guard who follow those orders, in essence, but they're holding him captive. It's crazy. And then now we're going to look at this next piece of our text today where we see Paul stand up and literally direct the entire ship. But not as a commander. Not as somebody who's, who's power hungry. As somebody who is concerned. As somebody who loves and is compassionate for the people on board. Look with me in your, in your Bible. Acts 27 verse 33 says as day was about to dawn Paul urged them to take uh, all to take some food saying today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food having taken nothing therefore i urge you to take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you and when he said these things he took bread and gave thanks to god in the presence of all he broke it and began to eat Then they all were encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Uh, We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. I want to get to the main piece of what I think the Lord wants to speak to us today in this message, and that is about leadership. Paul has now, in essence, taken lead over the entire ship. Isn't that crazy? The guy nobody was listening to when they took off. He's a prisoner. Shut up, prisoner. We don't care about you. You're nothing. And at this point, he is giving direction and care for an entire ship, including his captors, the Roman guards. Incredible moment. Paul's message from the angel has, has, has given him a sense of a passionate faith. People are listening to what he has to say. People, people are, are, are hopeful that what he has to say is true. It's even caused these soldiers to cut away their only lifeline, which is the lifeboat. And it's floating away to sea, and they're, they're all together, right? But now Paul stands, because of encouragement, because of compassion, to direct an entire ship full of people. The sun, uh, the text says, is beginning to dawn. Can you just go there with me? Again, I'm such a visual person in my mind. I can see it, can't you? The, the waves are still high. It's pitch black, but there's just a little tiny crack of sunlight on the edge of the horizon. E- even that picture, even that mental thought gives us hope. The night is, is almost done and we're about to see the day. There's just this sense of day is coming. Hopefulness is in the air and Paul stands up in front of 275 people and he in an encouraging way, in a, in a concerned way. He says, listen, because of suspense, have you ever been, um, maybe you've been in a hospital waiting room and a spouse or a child is in the ER and you're, you, somebody says, you want to eat something? Have you eaten anything? They're like, no, I haven't eaten. I can't even remember when I ate. You ever been that way before? When you get to that place, you just don't feel like eating. You're not hungry. There's nothing in you that makes you want to eat. And somebody has to come along and go, you need to eat something, right? You've been there before. That's exactly what these guys have felt for 14 days. He says, the suspense the motion sickness of rough seas. It could even be that the wheat and our food supplies have been wet because of the horrible storm. For whatever reason, they haven't eaten in two weeks. They're starving and fear and sickness has kept them from wanting to eat. So he tells them, guys, you need to eat. We need to eat, we gotta have strength. But he doesn't only remind them of what their bodies need, he reminds them of who God is and what he's done, what he said, right? He reminds them of God's promise that nobody's going to perish. And he does so with a quote from Jesus, which I love. So he tells them, take some food for strength. Take some food, but know that God's promise is with us. Not one person is going to die. And then Paul does something that I love. He stands up, and he does so, so demonstratively. Even as I stand, look, I want your attention, don't I? I want you to look at me, I want you to listen to me. This is exactly what Paul was doing. As he stands in front of a ship full of people, mostly pagan, (laughs) think about it. These people don't know the Lord. And yet Paul says, listen, we've gotta eat. You've gotta have strength. And then he takes, what he does is he places himself in a position of father. This is what a father does. This is what a host of a party does. He gets the attention of the people, and he says, hey, we're going to pray. He holds up this piece of bread. He breaks the bread, and he gives thanks with everybody in attention. Why? Because he wants everyone to know that they are there, that they have food and protection, and God's going to save every life, not because they're lucky, but because God has made a promise. So as he has their attention, he breaks bread, and he prays. Now, this is not communion. At first, I looked at this and I thought, maybe this is a neat communion. No, this wouldn't be communion because those people don't know the Lord. Instead, this is just Paul saying, listen, there is a God who loves you, who has provided for you and is going to save and rescue your life, and we're going to thank him for that. Isn't that beautiful leadership that Paul does? So he stands up as as father, as, as host, and he breaks bread in front of everyone, and then he begins to eat. Paul takes eat of himself. He's the first one to eat. He's, he's doing this for a reason. He's leading. He's modeling what needs to happen. He eats, and then the text says that everybody gets encouraged. Let's look at it for a second. Verse 36 says, then they were all encouraged. Isn't that cool? This lowly prisoner has just encouraged and led a whole ship of hopeless starving people to have hope and they begin to take food they begin to eat and luke even adds how many to just give us a sense this is not a small group of people 276 persons in the ship here's the thing does knowing the amount of people on the ship does that change anything in your perspective it did mine I mean, when you're thinking of 15 or 20 people, right, it's not, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's not that big of a deal for Paul to stand up and 15, guys, I need to talk to you for a second. We need to eat. Does it change our perspective when we know 270, that's probably over double what is in here now, definitely over double what's in here now. It's a lot of people. Does it change your perspective of the fact that God said, not one of you will be lost? It did for me. And I'm thinking, you know, if there's 15 or 20 people, that's, you know, okay, God, you can save, but 276 people and not one would drown in a shipwreck. And that's, that's a miracle of God. Here's what I want us to see about Paul's leadership and what I want us to begin to think about in our own. We've all experienced great leaders, right? You've all worked for good leaders. Man, you just love them. They, you, they ask you anything, you'll do it with a smile because you love those guys and those women, right? Great leaders. But we've also had those leaders that you're like, ugh, can't stand to be in their presence. Right? Great leaders, horrible leaders. So what makes the difference? Because we've all experienced both of them in life, in school, somewhere. Let me let me tell you what we see in Paul's story. Number one, great leadership is not about position. You don't have to be the boss to be the leader, to be a leader. Paul was a prisoner. I mean, if anybody didn't have leadership title or position, it was Paul. Did he lead? Yes, he did. Can you lead from whatever position you have? Yes, you can. Great leadership isn't phased by rejection. Paul tried, didn't he? Guys, listen to me. We We shouldn't sail in this weather. There wasn't even so much as, shut up, Paul. It was just nothing, which is even worse. Oh, okay, I guess I'll shut up. But he wasn't phased by rejection. He didn't let that one rejection keep him from leading, keep him from continuing to make suggestions, keep him from continuing to be used by God to lead other people. Great leadership is not about the perfect context. I finally got the job I want. I finally got the, the position. I've got enough people around me. I've got all the my the places, things in the right place. No. Paul is literally leading on a sinking ship. Like if there's ever a moment to go, oh, we're all doomed, right? This is maybe the moment, but that's not what Paul does. Paul takes the opportunity and the encouragement that God has given him, he turns it back around and encourages other people. Paul is leading, but not in a perfect context. Great leadership is not about whether or not people support you. You know, it, it definitely feels good when your team goes, you got this, we're, let's just lead, we'll follow. But what if nobody supports you? Would you still lead? Would you still take an opportunity to uh, harness the influence that God has given you to do something for his glory and for other people? Paul had no support. I mean, I'm sure Luke and Aristarchus are like, you got this, Paul. Or maybe they were like, don't do this, Paul. That's been more of what they've done. Remember, that's exactly what they did before they went into Jerusalem. You, are you crazy? Do not go into Jerusalem. So maybe Paul's like, I think I'm going to stand up and pray. They're like, what? Who knows? But he stands up alone and he leads even when he had very little support. I love this quote from General Douglas MacArthur, wonderful, famous general in World War II. He says, a true leader has the confidence to stand alone. The courage to make tough decisions and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. He does not set out to be a leader. Paul didn't set out to go, I really want to be the leader. I'm going to try this at this point. He doesn't set out to be a leader but becomes one by the equality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. Is that what Paul did? Paul said, God has encouraged me. I can encourage other people. I see a need. I need to step up and lead us to what we need to do. That's what leaders do. But the contrast of leadership is so stark, selfish sailors looking to get off the ship, lying with no concern uh, of anybody else. Poor leadership. Uh, my favorite leadership book, godly Christian leadership book, I should say, and I've read a bunch of them, is a book by a guy by the name of Ken Blanchard. It's called Lead Like Jesus. It's a wonderful leadership book. I encourage it to you. He says, uh, in the regards of bad leadership, he says, People with hearts motivated by selfish or self-interest put their own agenda, safety, status, and gratification ahead of those affected by their thoughts and actions. That's not a good leader when their selfish motives affect everybody else because that's what they want. That's poor leadership. On the other hand, you have Paul, a lowly prisoner, encouraged by God, encouraging other people, genuinely caring for the people on that ship. Even his enemies. Did you notice that? His captors are his enemies, but Paul doesn't. I don't know that Paul sees any enemies, right? Paul just sees people who need Jesus. Paul Paul just sees people who who need the Lord. So what exactly is a is a leader? Same book, I'll just give you the definition out of lead like Jesus. It says, leadership is a process of influence. Anytime you seek to influence the thinking, behavior, or development of of people in their personal or professional lives, you are taking the role of a leader. That's exactly what Paul does. He's seeking to influence them for their own care, for their own strength. And we see this beautiful uh, balancing act of human responsibility, we need to eat so that we have the strength to swim and also this divine revelation from God, you will not die. Right? This vision, this bouncing act, which is what we need to have, a word from God, a hope in God, a promise from God that we live by, but we need to have human responsibility about the things we need in life. It's both and, right? So this is what I want you to see, regardless of your position, Regardless of rejection, regardless of context, regardless of support, you could be a leader. There's no question about it. We, we often think we can't lead because we're not in charge. I remember 10 years ago, if you'd asked me about leadership, I, I might have said, well, leaders make the most money and uh, they have the most power. That's what a lot of people think of leaders. In studying leadership over these last 10 years from people like Ken Blanchard and real-life scenarios of wounding and pain, good leaders and bad leaders, God is developing me still. And the thing I know about good leadership and great leadership, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. To be a great leader means that you're willing to take the, the responsibility to care for other people. That's what great leadership is. Not greatest power, it's greatest responsibility. How are you leading other people to what God has for them? How are you caring for them in such a way that you move the mission and the vision that God has given you along? But it's not about you. Hey, moms and dads, man, it gets weary, doesn't it? It gets tiring. This morning I was screaming my lungs out and going, come on! We've gotta go! You know, you're probably doing the same thing. Can I just tell you, listen, you're a leader. Let me mention this uh, definition again. Anytime you seek to influence the thinking, behavior, or development of people. Are you doing that with your kids? Are you hoping to influence their behavior, their development, their understanding? Are you trying to shape them? Are you trying to move them in a direction? Yes, you're a leader. You are a leader. Hopefully you're a godly leader and moving them in the direction that God would have you to move them. Every one of us has leadership over our own lives. Every one of us has some sense of influence. And sometimes you, you, you gain influence by intentionality. Paul didn't have a whole lot of influence until he stood up and said, hey guys, I want to just encourage you. You didn't have a whole lot of influence until he stood up and said, you know what, we need to eat. Sometimes leaders just need to see the need stand up and show up and speak up. Bottom line is, We can all be godly leaders. Whether we know it or not, it's time for us to accept it so that God can use us for his glory on his mission. But too many of us don't believe that and we settle into these lesser roles, let somebody else do it. No, God is calling you. I wanna look just for a moment as we close in just a few minutes. I wanna look at nine leadership qualities of Paul. If you're a note-taking person, this is the moment to do it, okay? This is what we see in this text, nine uh, leadership characteristics of Paul. We go through quickly. First thing I see is Paul is a man of prayer. Leaders have to be a people of prayer. Leaders know, listen, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I'll never forget coming to temple uh, almost five years ago and feeling like this, there was a giant standing in front of me. And I was a little tiny like, uh, I can't do this. And Brother Jerry led me in prayer. The first day I preached, I've told this story before. I just think it's funny and, and wonderful. Uh, Brother Jerry going to his office, it's before the, I preached that morning, and I'm sitting there and we're talking, and He goes, well, let's pray. I'm, yes, sir, let's pray. Close my eyes, and I begin to pray, and I finish praying, and I hear Brother Jerry pray, and he's, his voice sounds muffled, and it's because he's face down on the floor praying. And I, I peeked. to be honest with you, I peeked. When I saw him face down on the floor, my heart just leapt out of my chest for more love for him and more love for the Lord. And he led me in that moment, and I dropped down on the floor on my face. And together, we wept and we prayed that God would help us in facing the giant. Godly leaders know where their help comes from. When the rest of the people on the boat were freaking out, Paul was praying. Everybody else was worrying. Everybody else was sick. Everybody else was, didn't know what to do. Paul was seeking the one who had control over the waves. He's the one who had given permission for the wind to push them out to sea. Paul knew who had control. And by the way, great leaders, godly leaders, know they can't do it on their own. John fifteen five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. If you're abiding in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You may think you're the greatest leader in the world, and if you're disconnected from Jesus, you got nothing. And you will accomplish nothing. But if we just stay connected, if we'll just abide in him, there's no telling what God can do in you and through you. Second thing Paul, I see in Paul is confidence. <laughs> this godly confidence, Paul says, hey guys, I don't think we ought to sail. You know the time of year thing, and they don't even listen to him. But let me just tell you something, it took confidence for Paul to stand up and make that suggestion. So much confidence that after he goes through the storm, he gets back up and brings it back up. You should have listened to me. Remember that? Paul's not being obstinate, he's not being mean. This is godly confidence going, guys. You should have listened to me back there but I, I want you to see something when Paul made the suggestion and they didn't listen to him Paul didn't qualify his education he didn't qualify his experience or expertise did he he didn't go guys you better listen to me I've been on 11 voyages I, I've sailed 3,500 nautical miles I've been in three shipwrecks maybe you want to listen to me is that what Paul did Paul's confidence wasn't in himself. It was in his God. So he made a suggestion. They didn't listen. He backed off. A little bit later, they had a storm, almost died. And he goes, maybe you should have listened to me. All right, let's forget that and move on. That, that's a godly confidence that I see in Paul. He also is an encourager. Great leaders are encouragers. He says twice to these folks on the ship, take heart. We're not going to die. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Right? I think it's interesting. There's not some major evangelistic message from Paul. Maybe because he had heard from God and he knew they weren't going to die. I don't know. But Paul doesn't stand up and, and give this great evangelistic message. But he does encourage the entire ship. And the thing the Lord said to me when I was praying through this is like, you know, sometimes evangelism has to start with just being an encourager. Sometimes we just serve people. To start a conversation that we love them and we're there for them. And more than us loving them, God loves them. So Paul is an encourager. Great leaders, godly leaders, want to bring hope. They want to bring life. They want to bring meaning to what you do. If it's a work situation, they want your work to have meaning if they're a godly leader. They want you to see that that this is not just something you do. This is something that that God is using in you. Work is a pre-fall reality. In other words, God planned for us to be workers long before the fall of man, before sin entered the world. Work is a good thing. God leaders want to bring hope and encouragement. Next thing I see is that Paul speaks the truth, right? The angel said, You're not going to lose anybody, but you're going to lose the ship. And then what does Paul say? Hey, we're not going to lose anybody, but we're going to lose the ship. He didn't color it any direction, he spoke frankly. He spoke the truth of what God had spoken to him. He spoke to other people. Here's the reality. If you're a godly leader, if you're a godly leader, there's no way you can lead anything effectively without knowing and living in the truth. If you're having to manage lies or perceptions or masks or some other kind of reality, which many times we do, know that you will not be an effective godly leader. Godly leaders speak the truth. Godly leaders live in the truth. And they trust God with the outcome. Right? Paul didn't know how this was going to play out. He didn't know the exact moment. Okay, guys, in five seconds we're going to hit the rocks. He didn't know that. But he knew what was going to happen. And he spoke the truth of that situation. The next thing I see is that Paul had faith. He said, I have faith that it's going to be exactly the way God said it's going to be. And last week we talked about sometimes we need to borrow, to loan our faith to other people, right? When they feel like they have nothing, they're in a situation like this, maybe they're hopeless, you say, hey, borrow my faith. God's got this. God loves you. He's going to help you get through this. Let's trust him, not what we see, not what we feel. Faith is actually the backbone of all these characteristics, If you don't have faith, you don't pray. If you don't have faith, you don't have confidence uh, in in God versus yourself. If you don't have faith, you're not an encourager. If you don't have faith, you won't speak truth and trust the rest to the Lord. Paul was a man of faith and to be a godly leader, we have to be people of faith. Next thing we see is Paul, he believes in justice. He sees these sailors lying, (laughs) trying to get out of dodge, so to speak, and he, what's interesting, he doesn't go, whoa, 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 guys, get out of the lifeboat. Paul doesn't, isn't that interesting? He doesn't take that moment into his own hands, which I think is also a leadership lesson. He goes to who's over the, the, the sailors. He goes, hey, if these guys get out of the boat, you can't survive. Isn't that interesting? I hadn't dug that all out, but I think it's interesting. If these guys get off the ship it's going to throw off this promise that God has given us. God wants us all to be together. He's going to save all of us. They're going to mess up that plan. And so he goes to their uh, supervisors, if you will, the soldiers, cut off the boat. Justice is important to Paul. It should be important to the leaders. Let our yes be yes or no be no. Call out the things that are not right. Right the wrongs. The other quality we see is compassion, such a huge quality in this moment because he's led, Paul's led by his compassion that these starving people eat. Right? Eat so that you'll have strength. And by the way, nobody will be lost. Everybody matters. There's an equality there too. But he has compassion. It's his compassion that that leads him to stand up. And I love that he says, we're not gonna lose one one hair from any... One head of you, everybody's gonna be saved. He gives this Jesus reference. Remember when Jesus said that? He said, The Father knows every hair on your head. And in that same reference, he's referencing Jesus. He's saying, God knows what's gonna happen, He's gonna take care of us, He's already promised it. What I think is interesting about this moment is Paul speaks to the need before having to deal with the consequence. Paul speaks to the need in the moment instead of having to deal with the consequence of what happens if they don't eat. This is what I want you to hear as a leader. Leaders have the ability of seeing beyond the moment. They look beyond the immediate to prepare for what lies ahead, that's what leaders do. They don't just get consumed right here, right? They have ability to step back and take a 30,000 foot view of everything and see what's going to be needed down the road. And they make changes in the immediate moment so that they can meet the need in the future. That's what godly leaders do. And if you love your people, you'll lead with compassion. So here's the next thing. He's grateful. Number eight, he's grateful. He stands in front of all these people. He breaks bread. He gives thanks. He knows that his provision, the very bread in his hands, the very breath in his lungs, the boat beneath his feet separating him and sure death is God's goodness. The same thing that you have in your life today as you breathe this air that we breathe. Has God protected you in your vehicle to the church building? (laughs) Has God every moment of your life cares for you? We ought to be grateful, grateful, godly leaders. They're grateful people. They're unafraid. By the way, I I think this too. Maybe you're a leader of a company and you're like, well, I can't really do certain things because my company doesn't necessarily say it's a great. What? Godly leaders are godly leaders regardless of where they lead. And you can say, as Paul did in front of a whole company full of unbelievers and say, hey, you know what, I'm just gonna pray for our meal today. Thank God for what he's doing in our our company. This is my faith. I'm gonna lend it to you whether you know it or not, right? We should be who God has made us to be regardless of where we are as godly leaders. He stands up as host, as father. He speaks on behalf of all these people that God is about to save. And then lastly, Paul models hope and vision. There's so much in this whole modeling thing. Paul said, uh, Follow me as I follow Christ. Right? Paul is saying, let me model what following Christ looks like, and then you do that. By the way, that's godly confidence. It's not arrogance, it's godly confidence. Follow me as I follow Christ. Fathers, that ought to be something you can say. Mothers, it ought to be something you can say to your children. And it's a scary thing to say. <laughs> right? There's a lot of accountability in saying that, but it's something we ought to be able to to say. So Paul models with hope and vision. Here's where the hope is. Guys, we got to eat because if we eat, then we'll have strength to swim. You see the hope? I have hope that we're going to get off this ship and we're going to be okay, but we got to eat. There's hope. He's modeling that. Vision. This is not our last day of life. We are going to live beyond this ship. We're going to eat again. We're going to swim. We're going to be okay. God's going to protect us. He helped them take their minds off of fear, off of the unknown and he gives them an example. He leads literally by, by taking the bread, giving thanks for it and eating it himself. Let me model for you hope and vision. Another great writer, great book, Start with the wise Simon Sinek says, there are leaders and there are those who lead. Leaders hold a position of power or influence, those who lead inspire us. Whether individuals or organizations, We follow those who lead, not because we have to, but because we want to. We follow those who lead, not for them, but for ourselves. These folks on this ship go, that's a good idea. We do need to eat. We haven't eaten in two weeks. I am hungry now that you say something. And yeah, we do need strength. But that might not have happened if Paul hadn't stood up and led. Godly leaders inspire, and this is what Paul did, helping these hopeless souls, motivating them in this moment to prepare them for the next best thing. I talk about the next best thing sometimes. Some of you have walked through some difficult depression, struggle, addiction, hopelessness, medical issues, and sometimes you need to remember the, the rule of the next best thing. The next best thing, some of you in the morning is just get up, have a cup of coffee. The next best thing might need to be take a shower. The next best thing may need to be to spend some time with the Lord and pray. Next best thing may need to be get your kids to school. It's okay if in life sometimes you just need to know what's the next best thing. In this moment on this ship, Paul said the next best thing, guys, is to eat. Because we need strength. He inspired them in that way for what was coming next. text says that they all were encouraged. They all ate. And then after they ate, and they all had all they wanted, they threw the rest of the wheat over the ship. I'm going to say something about that very quickly. I think it's interesting. Because I I placed myself in that ship with Paul, listening to his speech, listening to his prayer, and seeing bags and bags of life-sustaining wheat on a boat. And then after we've eaten, still seeing lots of wheat and, and Kind of the consensus being, we need to throw the weed overboard. That would be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? You're you're thinking ahead too. What? Okay, what if we get to the island? Are we going to be able to eat? And you're saying throw the weed overboard? I couldn't help but think, you know what? Sometimes we have to let go of the immediate to trust that God is going to get us in the long run. Sometimes we hold on to the thing that we think sustains us. I can't live without this little idol. I can't live without this drug. I can't live without this drink. I can't live without this thing. I can't live without this person. Listen, sometimes we have to let go of the immediate to take hold of the eternal. Don't just hold on to what you see right here. Take a hold of what's going to matter, what's going to rescue your life. As I close, listen, you're a leader. No matter who you are, regardless of age, position, context, but you got to make that choice. Godly leaders, can I just tell you from personal experience here, godly leaders aren't special people. Godly godly leaders aren't these unbelievably talented people. Godly leaders are people who are willing to let God lead through them. Godly leaders are people who are willing to be used of God to do what Paul did, to stand up, to speak up, to show up. This week, today, there could be a need that arises you look around and nobody's doing anything, you can be a godly leader. You can influence your kids, you can influence your family, you can influence the people around you at work or in your community, and you can stand up and speak up and show up. I wanna close, but listen, I just wanna remind you of that story of Gideon. I love this story so much. Gideon, <laughs> this angel comes to Gideon in uh, Judges chapter six. I encourage you to look at it this week. I'm just gonna give you the little synopsis. And the angel says to Gideon, listen to what he says. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon's Gideon's like. Literally. No, I'm Gideon. Or whatever his name was, right? It's like, are you talking to me? And then he says to the angel, he says, yeah, but the Lord has forsaken us into the hand of Midian. What does the angel say back to him? He reminds him again of who God says he is. He says, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from Midian. What? Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said, listen to this, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Does that speak to you as a leader, regardless of what you think of yourself or your position or your context or your stage in life? Gideon said, I got nothing. I'm from the lowliest people, and I'm the lowliest person of the lowliest people. Are you crazy? But I love how the angel, from, right from the get-go, spoke into him what he saw. He saw a leader that Israel needed. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, even though Gideon didn't see it. Go in this might of yours and save Israel. Friends, what I'm trying to show you is it wasn't Gideon's strength. It wasn't his talent. It wasn't what he had to offer. It was only God's presence that made him mighty. That's it. This morning I want you to know that God sees leadership in you. If you'll take that initiative, if you'll take that promise if you'll stand and move people in the way that he wants them to go. How do we do that? We seek his presence, and we lead with intentionality in our lives. So I'm going to pray for us, and as I do, I just want to ask you, what what do you need to do to be obedient in leadership this week? As a mom, as a dad, as a Starbucks worker, (laughs) as a janitor, As a businessman, what does leadership look like for you? It doesn't mean passivity. It doesn't mean arrogance. It means godly confidence and all these other aspects we've talked about. God used Paul as a leader. He spoke leadership into Gideon. He sees leadership in you. But it's not because of how great you are. It's because of how good and great he is. It's his presence with you. Pray with me this morning. Father, we love you. God, I pray that you would help us to believe your word. Um, I know we've all served good and bad leaders. We've all been in difficult situations, circumstances in in, uh, following people. But even in those wounds, even in those moments, God, I say from firsthand experience of people who have truly wounded me deeply, I'm a better leader because of those wounds I'm a more sensitive leader because of those wounds. So God, thank you for the horrible leaders in my life. And thank you for the godly leaders in my life. God, would you use this story of Paul, this intentionality of his faith, of his passion, of how you encouraged him, and he turns around and encourages other people. Would you use that in us? Help us to move out of passivity out of let somebody else do it mindset, to say, God, what would you have me do? I need your presence to lead. I wanna abide in you because I can do nothing without you, God. How would you have us lead? How would you have us obey? May we be about that today. God, may we, in this moment, put everything else out of our hearts, our minds, how long this message is, how I can't wait for lunch, all the things that are going on in our brains, may we put them out for just a moment and say, Jesus, how would you have me obey you, love you, and lead for you? That is our prayer. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.